It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. <clears throat> After last Sunday, this is going to be good. <laughs> Warming up a little bit, that's right. Above zero, and I hope we head, keep heading that direction. Amen. Uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, again, if you uh, plan on attending ladies' retreat this year, uh, this is going to be in Wisconsin Dells, April 22nd to the 24th. Uh, let Sister DeMuth know so, so you can get a head count, uh, and you will need to have your room payments into Sister Becker by March 1. Also, <clears throat> also i got to clear my throat. Next, uh, men's camp this August 19th to the 21st. Uh, registration is now open. Uh, if you register after August 14th, you will be charged a $20 late fee uh, in addition to the registration. Uh, campsites and dorm rooms are on a first-come, first-served basis, so if you do plan to attend, uh, register now, not later. Amen. It is good to see all of you here tonight. Uh, we do have a special guest with us, uh, Brother Ken Smith. Is that right? Okay. I'm not good with names, so <laughs> I got it right the first time. Praise the Lord. Uh, he's with us from uh, Madison, and uh, unfortunately, his wife and kids are not able to be here. It's always a sad thing to be separated from your family. I do know that very well. Uh, but I did ask uh, Brother Smith if he'd stand and, and greet us this evening. He is, from what he's told me, him and his family are a walking miracle. And uh, I like hearing that. I like hearing the power and the goodness of God in, in someone's life. Amen. Brother Smith. so much. Now I'm going to ask him to come preach the remainder of this service. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is, <clears throat> he's absolutely right. This is the, the best time to be serving the Lord in all of history. Uh, Jesus is going to come back real soon. And before that happens, there is going to be a huge outpouring. And I want to be a part of that outpouring. Amen. Praise God. We're continuing the theme this month of, of apostolic ministry. And uh, 
if we are engaging ourselves in apostolic ministry, if we are uh, doing those things that apostolic ministers do, do uh, pray, spiritual warfare, fast, witness, uh, these kinds of activities do get the attention of our enemy, don't they? And uh, it's kind of a, a truism that if you you kind of know when you're on the right path when you encounter some kind of resistance. Uh, that's that's generally a good sign that uh, we're doing things properly, we're doing things correctly. And so, uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight is some of those weapons the enemy might bear it, uh, come to, to to bring against us, and. Uh, we certainly don't want to give any glory to the enemy tonight, but it is prudent to understand his wiles, to not be uh, ignorant of his devices, but understand how he operates and those things that, that we may face moving forward. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 says this. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him all of these things. And John called unto him two of his disciples sent, I'm sorry, John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another. When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And uh, the enemy has several devices. We're going to focus on one tonight, and that is the weapon of discouragement. We'll be talking about discouragement. And if we could pray for just a moment, ask God to bless his word, bless the remainder of our service, He has a plan for this service. He has a plan for you in this service. And uh, no one is here by accident. We are here by design. Amen. Let's pray that God's perfect will would be accomplished here tonight. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I am so thankful for you and for your so great salvation. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've afforded us tonight to enter into the presence of Almighty God. You are an awesome God, and you have uh, a grand design for this church for our families, and for us as individuals. You have a design for us being here tonight. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that those designs, that your heart's desire would be made manifest in our service tonight. All hearts, all eyes, all ears are attent unto the Lord our God tonight. Not to a man, not to any person, but to the Lord our God. You have our full attention tonight. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would get a hold of us, that you would cause us to turn to you, that you would cause us to understand the things that you desire us to understand for your purpose, for your glory. I pray, Lord, that your people would be encouraged tonight, that they would be undergirded with strength, and above all else, that your great and glorious name would be glorified in our service tonight. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. There's a story told about a group of frogs that were traveling through the forest. At one point in their travels, they encountered this deep well. 
And so, because frogs are curious, they wanted to explore this, this hole in the ground. Well, unfortunately, two of the more curious frogs ended up falling into the hole. It was a deep hole, and it didn't look like they were going to be able to escape. But they tried anyway. The frogs on top, however, they saw how deep the hole was, and they yelled down to the frogs, Don't even try. It's too deep. You're just wasting your time. Well, that didn't seem like a very good solution to the two frogs in the hole. So the two frogs kept trying to get out with all of their strength, hopping, 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 trying different techniques, different methods. Uh, but in the meantime, the other ones kept shouting to them that their efforts were all in vain. You're just going to die tired. After some time, however, one of the trapped frogs decided that they were right, and he gave up. Reserved to his fate. The other frog, however, kept jumping as much as possible. Frogs on the top, they kept shouting at him, trying to get him to stop. But the headstrong frog kept jumping, every time stronger than before. At long last, this frog did get out of the hole. The other ones, incredulous, asked him, didn't you hear what we were screaming to you? Frog didn't respond, just kind of smiled at him. Eventually, they figured it out. The frog was deaf. <laughs> and he thought the group was encouraging him to try harder, to get out of the hole. <laughs> the moral of the story is this. We have to be careful what we say, but we have to be even more careful what we hear and who we choose to listen to. <clears throat> the enemy has a lot of weapons at his disposal, hate, jealousy, fear, deceit, and many more. But the mo one of the most effective weapons he has is discouragement. It's extremely difficult to see the enemy's hand in it because uh, we end up thinking we're the ones to blame or somebody else is to blame. Or the situation is to blame. But we don't see his hand in it. And the real devious part about this whole thing is that, at least for me, when I start falling into this trap, the arguments are good. They're right. I'm not worthy. I am kind of a screw-up. I did make that poor choice. I didn't make that good choice. That was me that did that. So, yeah, I, and, and now I'm sitting here in this mess, and that's what I get. That's what I deserve. They're good arguments. And I, if I have to argue on the basis of, of the, the evidence, I don't have a lot to come up with. And so it's... It's really difficult, especially when you're in the middle of a situation. You're tired. You're weary. You just want this to go away. But it doesn't. And it gets worse. And more keeps piling on, it seems. And everybody, 
is susceptible to discouragement because at some point your strength is going to fail. Now we all understand, of course, skipping to the end a little bit, that we're not supposed to rely on our strength, are we? We're not supposed to trust in the strength of our own arm, our abilities. But nevertheless, at one point or another, we all end up discouraged. It works on everyone. And as we said at the start, if you are engaged in apostolic ministry, this is something that you're going to face. You will face it. If we look at our scripture text, John the Baptist. At the point we met John, he was kind of at the end of his career. He was rotting away in prison, a has-been preacher, who at one point was a superstar. He was very popular in Israel. Whenever John came out to preach, all of Israel came out to hear him. He baptized hundreds, thousands of people. He was a preaching rock star. He was the one that would have preached at General Conference because of the times. He'd have been it. He rebuked, he rebuked the rulers of his day with impunity, even going so far as to rebuke King Herod. And no one touched him. He baptized Jesus. Only one guy can claim that, and that's John the Baptist. But those days are gone. He's in prison. Apparently unmissed and unloved. He has come to the place in this prison where he's starting to doubt the very tenets of his message. He's the one that pointed Jesus out and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He wasn't talking just in the air. He was pointing to a a specific person. Jesus Christ. He pointed him out and said, That's the man. That's him. He knew. God revealed it to him. But he's starting to doubt that now. He's starting to doubt what God revealed to him. If we read the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18, we kind of have the same deal going on here. Elijah achieves victory over the 450 prophets of Baal. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it's a good chapter. <clears throat> he begins by coming to the king very boldly, telling him, you're the one troubling Israel. Right to his face. Get them all together. Get everybody together. We're going to have a contest. He gathers Israel and the prophets of Baal and challenges them all to make a choice. And we understand the story. Why halt ye between two opinions? If God's God, serve him. If Baal's God, serve him. Stop flopping around. So God uses him to miraculously devastate Baal and his prophets. It's a huge victory. And then shortly after that, 
God brings deliverance to Israel in the form of much-needed rain, ending three and a half years of famine. Miraculous, supernatural events. Victories that God wrought through Elijah. But then in the very next chapter, he tells God it's enough. I want to die. Jezebel threatened him. He had all of these miracles, all of these victories. But Jezebel was still in power. And Elijah felt, I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one fighting this fight. And he got discouraged. The Apostle Peter, if we turn to Matthew chapter 26, verses 30 to 35. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise said all the disciples. <clears throat> now, we've got to kind of understand the setting here. He's in the upper room, eating the Passover. He's warm. His belly is full. He's surrounded by friends. He's in the presence of Jesus. Every one of us would be bold at that point. We come from a Sunday service. God really touched us. God really moved. I'm bold. I'm going to make commitments. I'm going to lay my life on the altar again. <clears throat> So in this, in this uh, environment, God tells them, one of you is going to betray me. Drops a bombshell. Then he says, you're all going to forsake me. And Peter just, he couldn't even see it. There's no way. Not the way I'm feeling right now. There's no way I would deny you. But when Peter was out in the cold, alone, Surrounded by strangers and enemies. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. He denied him three times. It's no wonder the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. Now these men in Scripture had some things in common. They weren't novices. They weren't new converts. They knew God intimately. They worked for him, loved him, were zealous for him, trusted in him. They'd come through other trials before. They were used of God supernaturally. And yet they all came to a place of discouragement, and in one way or another, they let God down. 
No matter who we are, no matter what our relationship with God is, no matter what kind of a prayer life we have, our knowledge of God's Word, we could memorize the whole Bible. No matter what success we have in ministry, we are still susceptible to discouragement. Given the right set of circumstances, given the right scenario, all of us will fall prey to this if we're not careful. We'll go into that in a moment. But if we're not careful, if we're not circumspect, if we're not watching, this will get us. And it's different for you than it is for me. The things that would discourage me may not even affect you, and vice versa. But it's still there. One guy said, we are all of us one phone call away in the middle of the night from absolute despair. I don't know what that phone call means to you. I know what it means to me. And in the right set of circumstances, I just don't know. I've not been in that circumstance before. It's kind of like you talk about, you know, what, what would you do if uh, someone came up and stuck a gun in your face and asked for all your money? Well, I'd just take the gun away and beat him with it. Yeah, well, that sounds good. Until that gun is in my face. You know, I can talk all I want when I'm warm, surrounded by my friends, just talking. So we are all susceptible to this. What do we do when we're faced with it? How do we beat it? How do we recognize it for what it is? 1 Kings chapter 19 we're going to kind of sit here for a moment. We're starting with verses 1 through 4. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left a servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. So Elijah is presenting the problem. I'm done. I've had enough. I want out. I've been there. You've probably been there. It just doesn't seem worth it anymore. You fight, you try, you scrape, you sacrifice, and nothing just seems to be happening. Nothing good. And you look out over all of the work you've done, all the sacrifices you've made. God, I am doing this for you. 
I have sacrificed, I have done this, I've done that, and I've not seen anything for it. I don't know why I'm even bothering. And we get frustrated and discouraged and we just want out. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't drag my family through this anymore. So this is where Elijah was at. He's fought. He's preached. He's sacrificed. He's got all of these victories, but it doesn't seem to matter. Because the evil people are still in power. So he's done. Chapter 19, Elijah, is very different than chapter 18, Elijah. It didn't take long at all. Continuing on with chapter 19, starting with verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now, it's interesting, the first thing God does is to minister to Elijah's physical needs. Made sure he had enough to eat, enough to drink, and that he got some sleep. Now, this doesn't sound very spiritual, but it ends up being spiritual. We need to take care of these bodies. We're stewards, right? This body is alone to me. That's why we preach against things like drinking and smoking and doing drugs. Yes, they're addictive, but they also damage the body that God lent me. And I'm supposed to treat it good. I'm supposed to take care of it. And so, making sure I eat the right things, making sure I'm getting enough sleep, if at all possible. <laughs> it is possible. <clears throat> More so once the kids move out, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. You heard Sister Parker. You guys are going to get trained. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> but we're supposed to take care of these bodies. And when we don't, and when we start getting these these periods of fatigue and... Uh, I mean, all kinds of things happen when we don't get enough sleep and when we're not eating right. And uh, stress, when, when we compile, compile that with stress, we are ripe for disaster. And again, this doesn't sound very spiritual, but it's still the truth. When we're getting the right kinds of food, we're getting proper amount of sleep, we're drinking enough water, and we'll continue on. But if we're doing that, we are, we are now a lot less susceptible 
to discouragement. Our mind can stay focused on the things that are important, on uh, not the situation, but on the God who controls the situation. Our faith begins to build simply because our mind is now right. Now, continuing on, God ministers to his physical needs. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, Elijah gets to the meat of the problem. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now Elijah was at a place where he could tell God, this is why I want to die. This is why I'm done. I am very jealous for the Lord my God. And it doesn't seem to matter. The things that Elijah was going through, the things that the Apostle Peter will look at, and John the Baptist, the things that they went through, the things that they they encountered, the things that, that drug them down to a place of discouragement. We read them in a book, and we can analyze it, and we can study it out verse by verse, word by word. And uh, we can glean some really nice truths out of it. But these are real people that went through real scenarios. And they didn't have the benefit of seeing the end of the story. Not like we do. And when you're going through it, you don't get to see the end of the story either. You have to face it as it is now. Now, if we can back up a moment and look at it through eyes of faith, we kind of do see the end of the story, though, don't we? We understand that if I just trust in God, because, see, that's the crux of the whole issue. When I get discouraged, 99 times out of 100, it's because I've lost trust and confidence in God. For one reason or another, in this particular scenario, Elijah is fighting. And he feels like he's fighting all on his own. This is I'm doing this in my strength. I'm doing this. I've sacrificed. I've preached. I've done this and that and the other. And nothing is happening. And so he's discouraged. He doesn't seem to get, at at least in this point here, he's lost sight of something. He's not doing it. God is doing it through him. And understanding that, if we can step back for just a moment, separate ourselves from the emotions and the the, the drama of the situation that we're in, and, and come to understand that I'm doing this for a specific reason. I'm not doing this 
for myself. I'm not doing it to, to, to get glory or to build my kingdom or to do any of that. I'm doing this because this is what God asked me to do. This is what God told me to do. And so I'm being obedient. That ought to be our attitude. We're being obedient to the commands of God. And if we are obedient to God, we can trust in that God that he will see us through. I heard one guy say, I can't remember his name, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. I kind of like that. Maybe a little bit blunt, but... But you understand what that means. If God is telling us to do something, he's going to make it possible to do that. If I have no finances and God is telling me to go to Japan, well, God's going to make that happen somehow. If he's not telling me to go to Japan, I just want to go to Japan. It probably won't happen. But... It will if God wants me to. And so when I encounter places of difficulty, and you encounter places of difficulty, we've got to understand that that is for a reason too. If God is bringing us through this, if God is leading us and directing our steps, we have to understand that he led us to this place too. This place of discouragement. And God is trying to teach me something. He's trying to... to Put something into my life or take something out that he doesn't want. But I'm here for a reason. And I don't have to be discouraged. All I have to do is keep trusting in God, the God who led me here to this place of discouragement. I can trust in God. If I can't trust in God... I have every reason to be discouraged. If I if I don't think God has my back, if I don't think that he brought me here, that I'm here of my own accord, now I'm scared to death. But if God brought us here, then I have to trust that he wants us here. And when the time is right, he will lead us on through it. Continuing on, First Kings uh, 19, starting with verse 11. He said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So we can pull a few things out of this. God certainly wanted Elijah to focus on him, not on the circumstances. We need to stay focused on God. We need to continue to hear his voice and receive his direction. Understanding that these feelings are real. Maybe I am frustrated. Maybe I feel like more ought to be happening. Those feelings are real. I don't, I don't believe most of the time they, they are an accurate reflection of reality. Emotions. 
I'll save that for another time. I'm not a fan of emotions generally. <clears throat> but this is why I'm not a fan of emotions, because they mess up my head. They mess up my thinking process. <clears throat> now, emotions are valid. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's good that we experience emotions. God has emotions, but God, God's emotions don't rule him. He rules his emotions, and that's what we ought to do as well. We ought to be in control of our emotions, not the other way around. <clears throat> but he wanted, he wanted Elijah to focus on him, not the circumstances, and not himself either. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way. When we're discouraged and frustrated, all eyes are on me now. This is what I'm doing. This is what I've sacrificed. This is what I did. This is what I chose to do instead of this. Uh, it goes on and on. Who cares? Jesus told someone in the Gospels, we're unprofitable servants, doing that which is required of us. Do I get a gold star because I fasted this week? Absolutely not. I'm commanded to. Absolutely. It's my duty. It's my pleasure. It's my honor to serve the Lord in any way I can, Brother Smith. To serve any way I can. Because what has he done for me? Everything. I doubt I'd even be alive today if it weren't for him. I seriously doubt it. But not only am I alive, but I have a purpose to my life. And after my life is over, I have an eternity to look forward to with him. And I want to complain because I have to do a little bit more than I thought I'd have to do. Give a little bit more than I thought I'd have to. Well, zippity-doo-dah, dude. <clears throat> Isn't that just too bad? I'm talking to myself. It seems real enough when I'm in the middle of it, but if I can just get a moment of clarity and start thinking about it, I feel real dumb being mad at God because I had to give this up or I had to do this instead of being able to do what I wanted to do. I feel a little bit foolish in those moments of clarity. God taught Elijah that he was present in all of life. The big spectacular events, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the mighty deliverances, as well as the ordinary everyday things. He's present in all of it. He's present in my prayer closet in the morning. He's present in our service this evening. He's present in my job site. I wish he'd have warned me about the things sticking out of the ceiling, though. I got a little boo-boo. I told Brother DeMuth it's a third eye coming in. <laughs> it's not, though. It's not. <laughs> but he's present in everything. He's present in all of it. 
And we don't have to look very far or look very hard to see God, to feel his presence, to understand that he's with us, even in these hard scenarios. We look at the uh, Apostle Peter. We see the end of his story. Jesus didn't rebuke him. He forgave him. He restored him. He even called him out by name. As for John the Baptist, Luke 7, verses 21 through 28 says this, And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whoever's, whosoever shall not be offended in me. So he gave John his answer. But then he turned around to the people and started talking to them. When the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea. I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So not only does he answer John, but he turns around and builds him up. Gives him a great big boost. What do you think of John? This is what I think of John. This is he of whom it is written. This is the prophet that went before me. The one that was prophesied. He didn't rebuke John. He wasn't upset. He wasn't disappointed. And in our moments of discouragement, our moments of despair, where we feel like we want to give up, we want to throw in the towel. God is not upset. He stands by waiting to minister, waiting to refresh you, waiting to give you new strength. That's our God. Yes, we disappoint him. Yes, we fail him. Absolutely. And it breaks my heart every time I do. But he's never once held it against me when I come to him and ask him to forgive me. He does. He does. And he restores me to right fellowship. He restores me to covenant relationship. And it's as if it never happened. What an awesome God that he would do that for you and for me. 
We're going to, we are going to frustrate him. I believe. I have to believe that I frustrate God from time to time. I frustrate me. I make some dumb choices. There's a comedian one time who I will not name, but one of his gigs was he'd look out in the audience and don't be a dumb guy. I hate dumb guy. I hate dumb guys. It, I kind of apply that to me every once in a while, because man, if I could be perfectly transparent, I do dumb things. I make dumb choices. I choose things that aren't going to draw me closer to God. I don't choose things that will draw me closer to God. I can relate to to Romans 7. Paul saying, the things I I would not, those things I do. Things I want to do, I, I don't do them. But God has been so very patient and long-suffering with me. And if I may, it's a good reason to be patient and long-suffering with others. Because he has been so patient with me. He has been merciful to me. I'm going to be merciful to others. I think it was Brother Kilgore said, Someone came up to his after service. He done said something. Wanted to ask his pastor's forgiveness. And he told the guy, God has been so good to me today, I've been looking for someone to forgive. I can't put it any better than that. God has been so good to me. I'm looking for someone to forgive. Amen. So when the enemy comes at us strong, we can rest confident in the knowledge that God has us in the palm of his hand. In and of ourselves, the enemy is more powerful than you. He's more powerful than me. But we have God to our side. We have God living and dwelling in us. And because of that, because of that one fact alone, the enemy cannot touch us. He cannot do anything to us that God doesn't give him permission to do. And he'll only receive permission for our improvement, for our refining, for our betterment. So when we go through these scenarios, these situations, and we feel like we're at the end of our rope, understand, you're not at the end of your rope. Maybe you're at the end of your rope, but God has a whole lot left. Lean on him. Learn to trust in him. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He has a plan for your life. He created you for exactly that reason. And he wants to see it through to fruition. He's going to do everything he can to make sure that happens. Submit to him. Lean on him. Trust in him. He will see us through all the way to the end. The glorious end. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for you.
your great faithfulness to us. When we are unfaithful, you are altogether faithful. Hallelujah, Jesus. When we frustrate you, when we 